Hello, and welcome back to the Album Nerds Podcast. We're back, America. We're back. We were gone for a week because Andy was on vacation. I'm Dude, and this is the Album Nerds Podcast. Andy, why don't you say hi to the fine folks at home? Hey everybody, good to be back, uh, well rested and ready to talk about some music. That's right, that's what we do here at the Album Nerds Podcast. Two dudes, a few albums, in this case a beer because we're recording this after 5pm so it's okay, and <laughs> we talk about music. We've been friends for a long time and we decided it uh, might be fun to record some of our somewhat organized conversations so that's what we do andy why don't you fill everyone in on what we're doing today well we're going to talk about some music in particular we have uh two records that we're recommending one from each of us and then after that we're going to jump into some updates on our essential blues and jazz projects that we've been working on diligently over the last month or so got some uh some records to recommend from uh from the vaults of blues and jazz music so uh pretty exciting stuff let's uh let's jump into the first uh, recommendation here this is uh from you right yeah it is um it's not it, I'm just going to jump in because it's not really what I would have expected to like. It's a band called Leopold and His Fiction and a new album called Darling Destroyer. I don't know about you, Andy, but I had a lot of trouble finding some good biographical information on this band. Um, but they're they're like a White Stripes, almost kind of blues rock type of thing garage rock garage rock revival whatever you want to call it and um it's pretty solid um so I, you wrote some notes here and i'm gonna jump on them Go uh, ahead. <laughs> the band's name nods to a main character in a novel that uh daniel james he's the lead singer he attempted to write um it's bluesy, it's, you know, good rock and roll strain to the voice, and it's fun. And weirdly enough, there's some actually pretty kind of ballads on here with a really nice melodic singing voice. What did you think, just generally? Uh, my first impression was like, wow, the White Stripes have a new record out. This is cool. <laughs> it was kind of funny though, because the more I researched it on the band, like it must be he must get that a lot because every interview with him is like the interview. He's like, okay, so you sound kind of like the White Stripes. Did you do you know Jack White? Or are you uh, heavily influenced by them? I guess they're from the same town, so there's a okay. little bit of a connection there, but. So yeah, obviously they have that cool garage rock sound that the Stripes kind of brought back. Um, but I don't know. I think the strongest song is like you hinted to there were the ballads that were a little bit quieter and more stripped down. Yeah, that's what made me go, there's more to this than just 
garage rock revival and it felt some of it i thought had a i don't know jeff buckley overtone in terms of just the kind of i hate to say pretty but sort of pretty singing you know i guess this is like their fourth full length and yeah this guy um it's basically just his band right yeah, there's been some changes to the lineup over the years, but I think he's kind of the main driving force behind them. Yeah, and uh, I guess there was something about just kind of, he was in another band for a little while that was a little more uh, like artsy or something, and, and this is supposed to be a little bit more straightforward. Um, he's, or they, have toured with bands like ZZ Top, Gary Clark, uh, Gary Clark Jr. So mm-hmm. that's pretty cool. But yeah, um, I really like it. What are your? Do you have like some favorite tracks? Um, yeah, I think the single was one of my favorites. Um, what was it called? Uh, Waves Golden. I guess like track four. Okay. I like that one a lot. And um one of the slower tracks towards the end there. Which I one? I don't remember if it was Better Off Alone or Who Am I, but I kinda like the second half of the record yeah. a little bit better. For sure. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I like that it kinda slows down a little bit. Um I liked I'm Caving In, which is kind of a bit of both. Um Yeah, who am I? Better off alone. I really like too, mm-hmm. but I would recommend this. this. is fun. It's a fun listen. There's some good tap alongs, and why don't we uh, give the folks a little sample of which one? Cowboy. That's I. I saw a video for it, so I think it's kind of the lead single. It's funny. They're from Detroit, and. Uh, Kid Rock's from Detroit, and he has a song called Cowboy 2. <laughs> Coincidence? I hope so. <laughs> So that's just a little taste. Um, it sounds a little, uh, he looks a little bit like Perry Farrell, and I kind of hear that in his voice too. Yeah, he looks exa- almost exactly like him. <laughs> but when he, I think he got a haircut recently, but when his hair is longer, yeah, he definitely looks just like Perry Farrell. Um, I read somewhere, someone compared him to um, Jay Mascus also, which okay. I thought was interesting. Hmm. Both pretty good guitar players, so sure. But if you go back to some of the old videos, live performances and stuff, he looks, he has like a mustache and slick back dark hair oh, really? and looks a little bit like Freddie Mercury <laughs> in his mustache days. Oh, wow. So anyway. Nice. <laughs> why don't we jump into 
your recommendation. Yes, let's. So there's a bit of a connection here. Um, the record we were talking about was called Darling Destroyer, and the record I want to talk about is from a band called Destroyer. Uh, they put out a record in 2011, beginning in 2011, so that was six years ago, called Kaput, which I'm going to go out on a limb and nominate as being a classic record. It's one of my, definitely my favorite from the band and one that I come back to regularly and love it every time. How do you define classic? Yes, that's a good question. <laughs> Give it some thought. So I think a classic record to me, it has to have a unique sound that gets built upon into the future by other bands or the same band. And I think it has to sound fresh no matter what what the year is, whether it's been out 20 years or two months. But what about audience size or level of popularity? Oh, like acceptance? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Does that's that a, count? I don't know. I think a you know, classic record could come out and not get very well received or not get a lot of publicity. And then either you look back on it 25 years later and people are like, oh, wow, this actually was really important because the right people listened to it. So I you never I mean? heard of them. And I consider myself pretty well versed. <laughs> well, let me give you a little background here. So Destroyer, they've been around for a while. This is their ninth studio record, and they just put out one in, I think it was last year. Um, so they've had at least 10 records out now. Uh, they're Canadian bands. Um, the main creative force behind it is the, the singer and songwriter Dan Bahar, who okay. you may know, you may know from the new pornog- new uh, pornographers, okay? Yeah, he, uh, he has a role in that group as well. So, how did you find Oot about this group? Uh, you know, I think I was going through like my Pitchfork phase then, where I was just like digesting everything that Pitchfork dot com wrote about. Okay, and uh, it was fairly well received on there. Um. So I got into it that way, and it immediately kind of, I immediately liked the sound of it. So Dan is like a very poetic um, writing style, lyric style. And all his past records I try to get into, but they're just, it's just like really dense poetry and really dense musical arrangements. This record, however, has a lot kind of a smoother, soft sound to it. Uh, there's these beautiful horns that kind of come in throughout uh, trumpets and saxophone there's tons of reverb on everything it gives it this like really lush rich kind of soundscape to it that I love Uh, I listen to it on vinyl a lot I think it sounds really good on like a big set of speakers and uh, I don't know what so you hadn't heard it before what what were your uh, what were your thoughts when you cracked into it well initially I was like Wait, 2011? Because okay. it sounds to me like 1989. Right. There's definitely like some soft rock or like, yeah, soft rock kind of well, stuff I, going I, on. I, I kind of threw it in the whole 
not a, it doesn't sound like them per se, but in that whole the cure, the Smiths, that time frame and those sort of mopey ish uh-huh. pop bands. Not to, you know, insult anybody's taste, but you know what I mean, right? Sure. Yeah. It was yeah, and it was very poetic for sure. Um it was good. I don't classic that might be a tough sell for me, but I'll give it a little more time and I'll maybe give them a little more time cuz you know it's weird to jump into something and you know I was reading something about how the album got pirated before it came out and I'm like who who's doing that? <laughs> so someone yeah. cared. Yeah, I think he has a little more of a following up in up north in Canada. Um, this is definitely like his his most well received record, um, at least in the U.S. He right, had this so one. We, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to read one quote that I thought was pretty interesting uh, from Dan about how he approached the lyrics and how he actually recorded the lyrics laying on his couch. Uh, the quote was, uh, "I wanted to be." Uh, I wanted to be really even and flattened out. I didn't really want. To, I didn't really know what to make a lot of the words I was singing, even though they felt really comfortable to sing. I wanted the vocals to work more as an instrument and less than a person, less as a personality. Which I think that's kind of his lyrics are really kind of obtuse and hard to make sense of. But it's more about the delivery and and the sound they contribute to the mix and than what exactly he's saying. I think so. I, yeah, do you want to uh, play a little sample from it? Yeah, let's do it. Cool. All right, what's this song? This is a uh, track eight song for America. Okay, here we go. Let's get some vocals in here, huh? sounded a bit like Robbie Williams. Remember him? No, who's that? He was like a pop star guy in the late 90s from uh, Britain. Robbie Williams. Hmm. Yeah, he's got kind of a pretty unique sound to his voice. I don't know. I love love the record. I highly recommend it. Um, It was number two on Pitchfork's top records for 2011. It's got, I think it's an 84 on Metacritic, so it's it's been pretty well received. I, I don't know. I go back to it probably every couple of months or so just to remind myself of how freaking good it sounds. So Okay, cool. Destroy we'll Check it out, people. Yeah. What's Enjoy. next? 
Oh, uh, jump into our essential uh, essential project here. Oh, actually, first, why don't you remind the folks of the? Let's remind them of the two albums we just talked about. Because okay, yeah, that's true. Yeah, so the first one that the dude recommended was from Leopold on his fiction. The title is uh, "Darling Destroyer." And the one we just talked about a second ago was from the band Destroyer, and the title is Kaput. It's with a K. K-A-P-U-T-T. Okay, cool. Cool. So yeah, let's uh, let's jump into this uh, Central Blues project. So you want to give a quick background on what you're doing and, yeah. and where you're at? So the beginning of this year, I decided I needed to broaden my horizons a little bit I listen to a lot of rock and roll and a lot of it is blues based which pretty much all of it is if you look at the path that rock and roll took in its creation but blues is huge it's a huge genre from decades and decades so I wanted to learn more about it and find some artists that I could get into whether they're classic or you know, uh, old albums, new albums, and uh, trying to educate myself a little bit on the genre and its roots. But it's hard. It's harder than I ever imagined. So <laughs> for when we talk today, the album that I'm recommending that's a blues record is one that I grew up listening to because my dad listened to it. So it's kind of a cheat, but We'll go with it anyway. What about you, Andy? What have you been working on? Um, so I'm doing basically the same thing, but in the jazz world, which is something I've always enjoyed jazz, but I wanted to get a little deeper into it and kind of understand how it progressed over time. Um, so I got a record today that is kind of uh, from the late 50s, so it's a little bit earlier in uh, jazz in America and it's pretty influential in uh, how it developed into the 60s so excited to talk about that okay so so what's the record that you picked up well first I wanted to kind of give a little bit of a history of blues oh yeah let's do that so Let's, I've got a little write-up here I'm going to read from. And here's how confusing it is. So, <laughs> blues, everyone says they have the blues, they know what it means, but the blues music has really deep roots in American history, particularly African American history. It originated from southern plantations in the 19th century, its inventors were slaves, ex-slaves, and descendants of slaves, um, African-American sharecroppers who sang as they toiled in the fields. Um, that's kind of where a lot of the chants, the work songs, the field hollers, and um, rural life, hymns, and country influences kind of came into play. So... The blues grew, and as records started in the 1930s, recordings started going out, and it was a lot of simple guitar, harmonica, but it started hitting the cities, and then it grew into 
all types of different kinds. And so you got um, Delta Blues. You have Boogie Woogie, Chicago Blues, which is like Delta Blues, but electrified. Cool Blues, West Coast Blues, the Texas Blues. And it goes <laughs> on and on and on and on. Yeah. So finding the right niche for me is now kind of the mission. I gotcha. kind of lean towards the Chicago because it's the more the electric blues. Mm-hmm. But today's selection, Taj Mahal, um, is kind of a bit of both. So that's why I like it. It's a two-album set came out in 1969. And the first album of it is, is called uh, Take a Giant Step, or Giant Step. And the old folks at home is the second one. The first one does have Southern elements to it for sure, but it's definitely highly, a little more highly produced, um, fresh, freshly written songs and arrangements. And it feels contemporary for 1969. The old folks at home is more some of that Southern plantation, old traditional, blues songs with just banjo or steel guitar and Taj Mahal does a lot of clapping and scatting and it's really interesting storytelling so I felt like it was a good place to start and my dad and his buddies used to sit around and drink beers and smoke cigarettes and listen to this I don't know why or where they found it um my dad worked in radio in the late 60s, early 70s. So I imagine they stumbled on it and it was just kind of one of their things to listen to. And some of the older songs are, the lyrics are simple and they talk about animals and stories about being a little kid and sitting at the table. So I always liked it and still do. What do you think? Yeah, it was really the first the first disc there, Giant Step, was kind of what I was expecting, I guess. Um, maybe a little bit more of a like a country twang to it than I would have guessed from uh, from a blue, straight up blues record. But uh, yeah, once you got into the second disc, uh, that was really it was pretty entertaining. Um, there was that one track, uh, a soulful little tune, where he's just yeah. like. I don't even I know. It. I don't even know how you describe what, well, what that song sounds like. <laughs> he tells a story about being a little kid, and his mama wanted him to stay quiet at dinner, and they would start playing a game, and it was the mm 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 song. Yeah. <laughs> but when he's doing the soulful tune, there's the he's clapping, and all that stuff, and it's yeah. <laughs> awesome. But. Every time I've played that for anyone over the years, they make lewd comments about what's really happening. Uh, like, Come on, man! <laughs> I've always ha- I'm always afraid to have anyone listen to it because I don't want to hear that crap. So, I, uh, see, I, I didn't get that at all from it. I thought it was just like really charming, and that's because like... you're mature, Andy. <laughs> so yeah, I, I like 
the second half I've listened to a couple times since then and it's yeah it does have kind of like a you know like a more like just uh, I don't want to say like organic just kind of like quickly not thrown together but like kind of a loose feel to it that's really appealing yeah um yeah, I don't know. So is Dash Mahal from right. Chicago or what's uh so, I don't know too much about him. Well I don't know a lot about I could look up where he's from, but he's an American blues musician. He often incorporates elements of world music into his works, especially later on. A lot more Caribbean and other influences. Self taught. Okay. Um he plays guitar, piano, banjo, and harmonica. Wow. He's done a lot to reshape the definition and scope of blues music over the course of his almost 50-year career by fusing it with non-traditional forms like the Caribbean, Africa, and South Pacific. Um, I think he's still, you know, he's an older gentleman now, but he's still out there, I believe. I'd have to, I didn't look into too much about his biography. Uh, but this album was his third studio album. Uh, and oh, wow. that was 1969. Yep. But some of the songs on the first part of the album are written by people you know. Um, I think Carol King co-wrote one of the songs. Oh, really? Robbie Robertson from the band. So, um, yeah, he was pretty well connected with that era in music. So all these songs on this record then were originals for this album then? The stuff on um, Giant Step, I believe, were mostly originals. On uh, Dull Folks at Home, it was a lot of traditional. So the the Fish and Blues and Stagger Lee, those are all old traditional blues songs you can find tons of versions of. I just really like his version. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, that's one thing about blues. I guess jazz, too. They're both... Seems like there's like these just standard songs that everybody covers and does their own renditions of. Sometimes it gets a little confusing, like who actually wrote what. Yeah, and I'd like to play a couple tracks because oh, yeah. it's two albums. But I was going to play Linen Track, which is clearly about laying down railroad tracks. Yep. And it's a traditional, probably from the days of the southern pacific and and all that and the way that he sings makes it sound like a choo-choo train kind of did you pick <laughs> up on that yeah no i definitely got the the train sentiment to yeah. it yeah oh, you right i've done got right what i hate about line and track these old bars about to break my bag. Oh, boys, can't you line on jack like Oh, boys, can't you line the track? Oh, boys, can't you line on See we I just think it's really cool, you know? <laughs> He's got so much emotion in his voice. Yeah. Like, every word is just, like, dripping. And it's, well, it's good. <laughs> I'm going to play another one from the, the old folks at home because this is the one I loved when I was a little kid. Okay. It's called Annie's Lover, and it's about Annie's lover, but 
He sings about animals. When you're a little kid, you're like, hey, I'm down with that. <laughs> I, I know what those things are. Yeah. So I always had fun listening to it. Um, I didn't know what it was about, but I connected with it because it was about simple things. Yeah. So that's cool. Yeah. It's a cool record, man. I, I enjoyed listening to it a lot. Thank you. Well, it was when I first started collecting vinyl again because yeah. all the stuff I had was um, I had a small collection that I stopped even trying in the 90s this was one of the first things I went and found and oh, yeah. uh, I love it <laughs> some good memories I can imagine alright man educate me alright let's jump over into the jazz world Okay, so the year is 1959. Um, some of the prominent jazz musicians in the world are like Miles Davis. He he puts out Kind of Blue, which is probably the most well-known jazz record of all time. That comes out in 1959, and Charles Mingus puts out his kind of seminal record. Uh, um, and if that's not enough... The Debut Back Quartet puts out their top record, uh, Out of Time. Love that album. Yeah. I mean, all all three of those are, you know, some of the greatest jazz records ever recorded. Um, But they all kind of fit, fit the pattern for what jazz was sounding like in the late 50s. Um, mostly based on chords and solos. So kind of out of left field comes this new uh, musician, a saxophone player by the name of Ornette Coleman. And he puts out this record called The Shape of Jazz to Come, which is a pretty ballsy title, if you think, looking back on it. Uh, he was totally right, though, because he really influenced uh, what would become... Uh, avant-garde jazz or free jazz which was became pretty popular in the 60s and 70s but with this record he really kind of defined the sound um, that was going to happen so this is his, uh, his third record his first one for the Atlantic label uh, he had just moved out to the west coast um, got together with a group of uh, three other guys. You had um, him on alto sax. You had a trumpet, or I guess what's really called a cornet, which is like a smaller version of a trumpet. Uh, bass and drums. There's no chordal instruments used at all. No guitar, nor piano, which is kind of what made this record sound a lot different from the rest of the types of jazz that were going on back then. Um... Coleman really focused on harmony over chords. He had this, uh, what he called harmelodics, which is this term he kind of made up, which basically um, his philosophy on emphasizing um, melody, I'm sorry, harmony over melody. Uh, 
Um, so, I don't know. The record has like a very, I would say like haunting, almost bluesy sound to it. Mm-hmm. And he, he really kind of messes with the tones that his, his uh, saxophone's putting out. They're really like the tone changes a lot, almost like you would hear like a blues singer as well kind of shifting up and down a little bit within the same note. Um, I thought it sounded like scatting, but with an instrument. Yeah, I think it's going for that same kind of vibe. For Ski sure. Like that? Yeah, I, you know, at the time, like what he was doing got a lot of backlash and a lot of criticism. It, were, it wasn't very well received. I mean, Miles Davis and Mingus, um, both are pretty critical of him at the time, as well as a lot of the, um, just the jazz scene in general. Um, but since then, this record has been, is now considered kind of one of the, uh, one of the foundations for, at least avant-garde jazz. Um, the first track, Lonely Woman, is kind of achieved one of those jazz standard status that people people cover pretty commonly now. Um, it's got a pretty distinctive sound to it. Do you have that uh, that track queued up there, yeah. man? Let's listen to a sample. All right, this is Lonely Woman. I really liked it. It was, it was like the saxophone was the vocalist. Yeah, yeah. It's, it plays this um, plastic Grafton saxophone. Interesting. Which I'd never heard of before. It's actually the whole thing's made of plastic, just the valves are metal. Weird. It kind of makes that weird, like kind of abrasive, kind of a harsh sound to it. But it it works. It's got so much emotion to it and. Him and that uh, trumpet really kind of go back and forth and play very well together. So yeah, I mean, man. this was this was ranked um, by Rolling Stone as the in their top uh, 500 records, which I think they did uh, in like 2003. This was 248, and uh, a couple of years ago it was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame. This uh, this record, so cool. You dug yeah. in. I like that. Yeah, I yeah, I really listen. I've man, I must listen to this probably forty or fifty times in the last wow. month. I really, really came to love it, and nice. uh, I kind of been digging in, into his catalog a little bit. He's still putting out music. Um, he's, oh, uh, nice. yeah, he's still very active. Wow. So yeah, Arnett Coleman, "The Shape of Jazz to Come," definitely worth checking out if if you uh, if you like the jazz music. Yeah, and go find Taj Mahal. Giant step, old folks at home. It's uh, really nice. And blues there. All right. So that's it for our music talk, right? Yeah. You know, Andy, yeah. I have a question for you. Oh? Some days, middle of the day, you're working. 
You just have had it. You feel like, I don't know, you feel like this. Oh! 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 <laughs> but if you want to feel like this, <sighs> then I recommend. Just couldn't, couldn't resist, huh? <laughs> I couldn't. I recommend a nice cup of homebrewed loose leaf tea from our friends over at makerstea.com this episode has been powered by the great tea at makerstea.com use coupon code album nerds for 20% off your next order makers tea making great tea easy at makerstea.com sound effects oh gotta love that I do I know. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, thank you, everybody, for listening to the Album Nerds podcast. Um, You know what, Andy? Why don't you tell them all the number of places they can find us and comment and love us, etc.? Yeah, I mean, where can't you find us? You know, we're on uh, we're on the Twitters. We're on the Symbol app. You can hit us up at, at Album Nerds on both of those. Also, you can find the podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher Radio, and our website, albumnerds.com. Albumnerds.com. That's with an A. <laughs> albumnerds.com. Yes, album with an A. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks, Andy. Thanks, everyone. However many there are, comment, subscribe, please uh, give us your suggestions as well. So I'm going to say adios. What do you think? Yeah, next time, buddy. All right. See ya.